It's recording. It could be live. Could be. But we're not. Um I, I get we can record whatever. We can always like erase yeah. shit and do whatever. Yeah. So feel free to like speak it uh, speak liberally. Truth. Speak the truth. Speak <laughs> lies. Doesn't really matter. We can yeah. erase the lies later. <laughs> Those are lies. Uh Jesse Garcia, welcome to the nonprofit wow. podcast. Thanks. Can't believe I'm here. <laughs> It's we, been years of the making. We've been flirting for, I don't right? know, for having almost two years. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. It's two been years. a while. Yeah, how yeah, long have you been? About a year and a half, because I was, I was up here in March or April of last, in 2021, shooting a movie. I was, that's when I was, I had messaged you while I was in town. I know. And, oh, okay. And so you're in town. I was in, yeah, I was in Park City shooting a movie nice. uh, called Roost, which just premiered at TIFF. Yeah. That's why I was there. Um, so whenever that was april of last year so about a year and a half yeah it was yeah. right after sundance film festival right yeah well i just i just just <laughs> missed you guys and like by the time i think if you found my message well you messaged me and you're like oh yeah i messaged you on instagram so i go through my five thousand messages of like the filtered messages that you don't yeah, get yeah. because it's like would you like to pay $500 for 50,000 <laughs> likes on instagram and then there's jesse's like hey i'm in town <laughs> yeah dang it Right. Yeah, I just, I missed you, but it all worked out. Yeah. yeah, that's okay. So you've been working with Aaron for, since then? Yeah. Yeah, I hit you guys up, I don't know, April, May, something like that, and we started, so I was prepping for a movie that we shot in June last year, June, July, August, yeah. Okay. Was uh, that Flamin' Hot? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I'm excited for that one. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good. Yeah, you've done, so you've done quite a bit of yeah. movie work. Yeah. You've done you've tons been, of stuff. How long have you been in that industry? I started in uh, Memorial Day weekend 2012. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, Memorial Day weekend 2000. I moved to Atlanta, Georgia to study with um, this guy named Judson Vaughn. Nice. Nice. What were you doing before? <laughs> let's Let's start from the beginning. What were you doing before you moved to Atlanta? I was um, like, I how'd you get into acting? Oh, geez. <laughs> should, we, should we just do the long, long answer since we're podcasting? Yeah. Um, I had a cheerleading scholarship. Did you know this? I, <laughs> I, I love that story. So I had a cheerleading scholarship <laughs> to the University of Nebraska. And um, as a girl in one of my classes, it was a nutrition class, actually. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> it's, and, all coming, it's, it's all coming. It's all coming full circle. Full circle. And. Um, we were talking about life and I was, you know, 21, she's 19, I believe, talking about life, what we wanted to do with our lives, you know, as much as we knew at the time <laughs> in our early stages of our life. Um, she said she wanted to be a model actress and I go, oh, that'd be, that'd be dope. That's, she wanted to win the Slashy Award. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what that means. But, <laughs> a model slash actor. Oh, model slash actress. The Slashy um, Award. That's the Fabio from you know. Zoolander. <laughs> Her name is Jennifer Jurassic, uh, she, t 5'10", beautiful. Um, and I go, oh, it's great. You should it's, let, me, let me know how that goes. I go, that'd be fun. But, you know, I have a cheerleading scholarship and I'm from Wyoming. You know what I mean? So it's like acting and the industry is not even not even close to being on my radar. Um, so she went to this an actor model search thing and then she came back and I saw her on campus 
And she goes, I got, how'd it go? How'd, it, how'd, the, how'd the model search go? She goes, well, I met this guy named Judson Vaughn in Atlanta, Georgia. He, he's an actor, director, producer, but he runs these acting classes too and these scene study classes. And he, I go, wow, it's dope. He goes, yeah, he invited me to, to come study. I'm like, that's awesome. She goes, you know, you should come with me. <laughs> and I'm like, mm, no. <laughs> no. And I'm thinking, uh, one, I have a full ride scholarship to yeah. basically to the University of Nebraska and I'm not paying for anything. Rent was $200 a month, $250 a month. Two, I don't know you. <laughs> Three, I don't know you. It's like, I don't know who this chick really is because it just met her in class. But I ended up going to like shortly thereafter, like maybe two or three weeks after that, I went to one of those model search things that were passing through town. And I knew I wasn't a model, but I was like, who knows? You know what I mean? Um, so I, of course I didn't get picked and I didn't really meet anybody significant, but I called her up and I go, hey, tell, tell me more about this guy. And he goes, I've actually been talking to him about you and you know he's interested to talk to you. And this was in 2000, some like spring of 2000. And him from a producer standpoint, he's like, and even his, he was thinking ahead back then. It's like this Latino kid, mm -hmm. you know, 20 years old, good shape, whatever, like decent personality. Um, <laughs> I love it. Just listening to you to describe great. yourself. Decent personality. <laughs> decent, semi-mediocre personality. Yeah. Above yeah. average My. personality. <laughs> um, uh, he wanted to talk to me. So I called him up and we talked for like 45 minutes Um about everything like about life and acting and this and that and he goes what do you you know if you I mean, he gave me kind of like what i later found out was his interview like he interviewed mm -hmm. everybody before they could come into class it was kind of like this way kind of he curated this 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 the classes in the school so where everyone was there to work and he invited me to come down and i go yeah man i'd love to i'd love to come study with you guys so that night I hung up the phone, I started packing everything, like everything that I didn't need, mountain bike, TV, VCR, extra stuff. I drove eight hours to my mom's town in Wyoming, Rollins, where I was just this past week. Um, and I get there at three in the morning, I knock on the door, my parents are like, what are you, what are you doing like, here? It's, who are you? Who is this kid? <laughs> Who's coming knocking on my door at three in the morning? And I go, I don't know, school's out, and I just come home for a little bit, and blah, 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 blah. And they, but they start to see me bring in stuff, and I'm like, this is weird. Like, why is he bringing in stuff from his truck? And they're talking about wanting to move to Colorado. This is, they were still get, <clears throat> together at the time. Wanting to move to Colorado for, to, for work and this and that. And I go, well, speaking of moving, I'm going to move to Atlanta in a week. And my parents are like, really? Why? And I go, I don't know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try acting. <laughs> <laughs> and my parents kind of looked at each other and looked at me and they go okay nice let us know if you need any help which kind of like <laughs> i'm like what are you guys doing are you fucking with me right now because like you tripped out that i wanted to move three hours away to what to like my first junior college yeah my mom later told me that i thought you'd be gone six months and hated and come back oh nice this was 22 years ago gotcha um <laughs> so i stayed there for a week drove back to lincoln nebraska picked up jennifer Drove straight through the next day, which is like an 18 hour trip. Yeah. Started acting classes that week. Um, was doing two classes a week, like first for four, like four, I was there four or five months and booked my first movie. Through. So you dropped completely out of school, right? Dropped completely out. Yeah. Dropped, okay. Basically, I dropped a full ride scholarship. <laughs> <laughs> I 
athletic right. scholarship. Mostly athletic. I got grants and scholarships. I yeah. have no idea how I got them. Okay. That's all right. Yeah. And then uh, what was the, what was the, I, I mean, cause what you, you only do in two classes a week. What else did you get another job? Did you? I was personal training. Nice. Yeah. Oh, shit. So I got a personal training job the second day I was in town. I mean, that's a lot like acting. Super. Like you have to, <laughs> yeah, it is. Really? Yeah. You're telling people, you know, the things that they need to hear. You're rehearsing lines. Rehearsing. You're... You're, yeah. It's a lot of, it's a lot of it. Yeah. I, I think I probably learned quite a bit about people. And how, how long was it before, uh, say this, I don't know what you'd call this phase, but there's always this phase. I, I had it in pretty much every career that I've taken up, but there's this lull phase where you're hyper-motivated, unskilled, um green green yeah you, green's a good term for it um how long before you got your first what you call like a break where you what was the i don't know what it'd be it'd be like your first signal that you're like i think i can do this i, I knew that the second i oh you I decided i was gonna do it oh, really okay. yeah i knew the second i i was gonna that i decided i was gonna start acting i said this nice. is i'm gonna make it work so so when was the first affirmation that you were correct so I went, I, I'd never taken an acting class in my life. Mm-hmm. I'd never, never done a play. No, I'll take that back. I did, um, it was kind of like a featured dancer, I guess. And, Fuck yeah. And the Nutcracker Ballet. <laughs> really? In college. Like oh, the, San, awesome. the San Diego. This is getting so much so better. good. And the San Diego Ballet Company was traveling, like they what? were touring around the, the, the United States. And they were, like they must have had two people injured or something like that. Mm. So they asked, uh, the school if like there was anybody that wanted to get extra credit oh, cool. to go in and do like a featured extra type of thing in the show mm-hmm. and I go I'll do it do you still have that on your resume I do I, I was like yes. it was on my resume as my first one of my first performances hell yeah yeah um, although I don't use a paper resume anymore yeah, sure yeah. I, but uh, uh, theoretically <laughs> theoretically yeah <laughs> Yeah. I've only got a few plays on my. I never really <laughs> did that. Well, we can get we can talk about plays. We later. should all just make paper resumes just to have them and hand them out to people randomly. And yeah. they're like, "What? Are, do you, I'm not hiring." I'm like, we just want you to know what we're yeah. capable. Of. I want you to know what my special skills are. <laughs> I, do you know what I <laughs> Check say? Check my instead? references. I just say, "Don't you know who I am?" Yeah, yeah. And then people are like, "Uh, yeah." I'm not important. Either that, or they go, "Yeah, an asshole." Yeah, Although, right. When I was little, I pulled the fire alarm at the Nutcracker on Christmas Eve, and um, I got in so much trouble. You probably saved a lot of people from that play, <laughs> the pain though. and anguish. I liked the play. <laughs> it was. A, I, it was. It was like. I, I want to like it. Oh, the Nutcracker! God. I've never seen it. Oh man, we went every year with my grandparents. We were anti-Christmas growing up. One year, my cousins were like, "Just pull the fire alarm," and I was like, Good "I'm idea. gonna do it." I got you. I got you. I got you, cuz. Watch, watch this. <laughs> and hold my beer. Yeah. Hold my hold my Kool-Aid. When yeah. the police came and talked to my mom and my mom covered my ass, I was like, I'm winning right now in life. <laughs> wow. Dude, my dad would have turned me in straight up. Straight up would have turned me in. That's funny. Here, you know, we I get wasn't a lot that of, little. We get a lot. <laughs> you're like 19. We get, we get a lot of hard talks from our parents. The first hard talk my dad had with me wasn't on like sex or drugs it was on the irs and he was like if you cheat on your taxes i'll turn you in i was like what the fuck is this this shit from that point i was like well i guess i can't trust my dad (laughs) (laughs) that was was what i was you're out of the circle dad there's got kicked out of the trust tree real quick yeah um this is kind of funny i what 
I took drama. I took a lot of drama, actually. That's funny. I fucking Michael loved is it. drama. I oh, am that's, drama. It's amazing. I am a method actor. No, uh, <laughs> I fuck. That's all I wanted to do when I was little. I just wanted to be like, because I loved movies. Like I loved everything about movies. I watched mostly ninja movies, obviously, and kung fu movies. So that was my yeah, obviously. That was obviously. my arc is to play yeah. a five foot five Chinese man. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't work out, but I I. I was in, I think it was ninth, ninth grade, where I got, I tried out, I was on my first like audition. So I actually auditioned and I got the lead in the like school play and everything else was a blackout. I was so fucking nervous. That was like, you don't I remember doing it? I don't remember anything from it. I did really? it and I think what it was. What play was it? I can't even remember the name of the play. It was like some Western. Oh, funny. Yeah, it was super weird. Did but, people like it? Yeah. Did they I think, think it, you were great? Yeah, they. I did awesome, apparently. I got a award for it, <laughs> but I don't remember any of it because I was so fucking devastatingly. I'd never been in front of a crowd before. You're method. You are method. I could. Yeah, I just blacked out. I did out. a lot of plays. That is debate. You too? Yeah. Oh, she I did, did a lot of plays. My grandma ran the costume department in Utah State. And wow. so she put on plays a lot and she would, it, she was notorious for just saying like, hey, this, go out on stage and do this. And so I was really nervous too. But it also yeah. didn't matter to me. I was like, I don't know any of these people. But this is the weird thing. So the the like what I learned from it was like the big crowd, the hundreds of people I had a real problem with. Like that that like was devastating to me. But when I auditioned, I like they you do your own piece. So I did a monologue where I played both Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker. That's amazing. And I played both parts <laughs> and I did a big elongated fight scene where I was like hanging off of a desk chair in the classroom <laughs> that's <laughs> just awesome. like super over the top um and then it's it like ridiculous now that i think about it i was probably so terrible but it was probably entertaining enough to watch like a ninth grader fling himself around a room kind of like brad pitt from fight club that's we're amazing. gonna come and be your stunt doubles please <laughs> I know you guys are gonna be stars. It wasn't until I got we went to high school and I still love drama. And then I was in the drama class and then we started learning about like the actually how hard it fucking is. And I was like, fuck this. But yeah. the last great performance I had was I did. Um, and I, th I think I planned it this way because I got kicked out. But I did the monologue from Pulp Fiction with Samuel Jackson. Oh, I, my name is the Lord. <laughs> that is amazing. That was you got kicked out of drama class because of that. Well, yeah, it was, oh. it was pretty bad. They have, they have I no vision. I didn't block the swearing. Oh, it was artistic expression. But that was my that was my last that was my last. Fit Were you slightly acting. trying to self sabotage to get out of it? I, probably yeah, a little bit because I man I do not connect with drama kids. <laughs> shocking Actors i know are weird man they are but i the the craft of acting is has always okay it's always been interesting to me and i think mostly because and we'll get super weird and down a wormhole here because i think I, I don't think very many people acknowledge how weird this is uh, did you ever watch um man on the moon and then consequently the um uh documentary andy and me i saw andy and me okay so you saw yeah. okay but you never watched man Wait on the moon. I'm sure I have, but I don't. I, re I remember. Do you remember the the premise? No, no, no I did. I did. Oh, okay. I did. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I saw. I saw both of them. So this that that encapsulated, I think, the idea of how I think how weird acting is, right? Where you're like trying on somebody else's personality, which I think is acknowledging culturally what we do anyway, but mm -hmm. without 
like being formal about it. So when you formally accept the role to become somebody else, this is a huge thing, like to the psyche, to your whole way of being. Now, depending on your role, like, are you aware of this or is this like... Some people approach it differently, I think. I, I don't, uh, it's going to be sound weird and people are going to probably shit on me for it, but I, I don't I don't work necessarily from a, a space of emotion. Oh, for me, it's kind of technical. Like I, I, and I, and I'm also very free. Like I know, I know I've done enough homework mm -hmm. where I know what I want to try. Right. But I'm also free enough that if my scene partners or something else happens within the scene that I can try to flow with it or, mm. or I make mistakes or I take huge risks. And if something works, awesome. If something doesn't, that's you can just re-record it. That's fine. Whatever, you know yeah. what I mean? There's different takes. I don't work from a, a place of emotion. I don't need to be in an emotional state to play emotion. Mm -hmm. I just need the audience to think that I'm that. Or, mm -hmm. and oftentimes I, uh, so this, I did this movie called Flame and Hot, which Aaron helped me prep mm -hmm. for, but you did it actually as well. Um, where we were going through the script early on and really kind of my only note throughout the script was like I it deals with a lot of um, cultural and political and and personal to a lot of people issues where it's like racism discrimination mm -hmm. um, everything that's still alive and sure. thriving today that I think sometimes in movies which throws me out of the movie is that if I'm watching specifically a, a Latino based predominantly uh, themed movie or show that if race or politics within the culture is you're they're blatant and you're hitting them over the head with it. Mm -hmm. It's like you lose me. Like yeah, yeah. I, I don't I don't I don't need someone preaching neck to me right. for me it's like I want the audience to be enraged and emotional and and angry for me if I'm playing mm -hmm. the anger of the situation oh, then yeah. I don't give the audience a chance to have it you know what I mean oh that's really interesting actually I I know what you're talking about because I think I was just what it's like it's a trick in narration right to compound the frustration of you witnessing the act mm -hmm. so somebody is being picked on or demoralized or discriminated against and their non-reaction makes you want to react more is that kind of what you're or, talking about or yes or like say let's just put it let's just let's just say someone throws a derogatory term at me of whatever mm -hmm. it is and instead of me being angry and going like you know you can't be saying racist things of this and that you know for me like personally i would internalize it now as an evolved kind of like semi-evolved human being mm -hmm. um i re i recognize that the, all those derogatory terms and slangs and all the things that are thrown at me have nothing to do with me sure the, yeah. the other person's in pain and they have they've learned like <laughs> they have issues that have really nothing to do with me yeah um but also i think i think if you you can also play that to where you're like you internalize you're going like that's really fucked up like my feelings are hurt this and this and that but if I go, ah, oh, that's racist, then mm -hmm. you go like, yeah, it's racist. Like we can see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we saw this yeah. racist. We don't need you to tell us it's racist. It's over exposition. So like, if you, like, basically, what you're saying is like, if you give someone the chance to to be mad for you, 
right? Mm-hmm. Can't believe like how can that how can this situation possibly happen? How why why is that kid not standing up for himself? Why is that you know what what's going on with the bullying? Like he doesn't just say something or what does he tell his parents? How come the teachers don't do anything? This might be off base, but also because I'm just making the connection now, so it's really raw. But the idea. Uh, there's a couple ideas here. I think what you just explained in writing, um, really hard, good writing does not come out as hard. It actually comes out as easy because you did all the work on the back end to mm-hmm. simplify things, to make sure that your metaphors stick to all the, all the prose is very flowy and you pull out all the words that are unnecessary. That's hard writing. On the other part of writing, what you're actually trying to do is make the, the reader feel very intelligent right you want them to feel informed like that they're informing themselves that you are not talking down to them right which is a really hard thing to do because if you have the arrogance to explain your own idea to somebody um, it's really hard to back off and explain an idea where they get the answer on they arrive at the answer on their own mm-hmm. that that's what makes writing so absolutely compelling and what I would say why social justice um i don't know you'd call it exposition from today or or this like these rallying cries they do not use those rules at all and that's why they're ineffective right because you're Mm. pointing the finger at the obvious thing and you're making people feel like they can't arrive to it on their own when in reality when people come up with the answer themselves they feel so clever that they want to spread this thing mm-hmm. and that that's a it's a really fine line but that's what makes it an art is that you know you get people to the point where they're thinking and feeling on their own but they're arriving at the place that you know that they'll arrive See, yeah for same for let's just say again use, use myself as an example like i've, I've had you know i've was discrimination all my life mm-hmm. but i've also a slight tangent but i've also had uh you know i understand the privilege that i have that i'm not really and i'm not indigenous looking you can tell that i'm something probably latino most people can tell i'm latino but i'm not so far and like really really dark skin to where i get the, you know the discrimination that dark uh, folks with darker skin would get mm-hmm. um but i've oh man i lost completely lost my train of thought um i lost it you're That's not it. indigenous looking no, I'm not. But I was going. Nah, uh, I lost it. But but there's I, a. Go ahead. Um, I was just gonna say I identify with whatever country I like best at the time. <laughs> it's I was just a say, trick that I, I've gone something with my you, whole life. Something you said there was actually really interesting <laughs> about like these levels of discrimination, right? We call it like, um, uh, what do we call it? Um, our friend that comes into town who we can't talk about his name because he's a very private person but he looks uh, ethnically ambiguous Mm -hmm. you would say right and and that's really impressive because he um, he needs to for his work as well yeah Puerto Rican descent but he could probably fill in the blank to any Middle Eastern descent that's how dumb Westerners are for sure but when I asked him about it I was like is that why you're in your line of business is because you can kind of fill the role as uh, Middle Eastern and he goes oh holy shit no, because people think that I'm Saudi as opposed to thinking that he's like, you know, Iranian or something else. And so you like it throws everybody off the opposite direction than when it should. And you're like, God, that's how fucking dumb we are. Like, I just think like, oh, he looks at, at the, in a movie. He could play anybody. That's right, how right, I look right. at it. And I would like I would probably say the same. But you're uh, you just describing the levels 
shows kind of how unconscious I think everybody is around this topic. I would never look at you and be like, oh man, I, like I see Latin, Hispanic, uh, probably Mexican descent. Um, but that's also because you dress like a cholo for that movie and I saw pictures of it. And I was like, that's fucking dope. <laughs> and I like cholo art. But again, I probably couldn't get that out of my head because of how I grew up. I see certain things a certain way. We had this conversation. Um, God, I can't remember who it was, but there's a really interesting point where I was describing like getting beating, getting beat up by gangbangers, right? And that's why I have this weird thing with like gangbangers. They beat up my cousins. It was all, and he was like, he was like, oh, so do you like hold that against black people? And I was like, oh, my bad. Uh, I'm in Utah. Gangbangers are fucking white here. Like, 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 it's like, I had to explain that. Like, no, actually, I don't hold, like, we didn't really have black gangbangers. We had Hispanic gangbangers for sure, but we had uh, Tongan uh, Islander, more like Tongan Crip Crew was like a big thing here. And then we had straight edge kids, and then we had like wannabe white kids mm-hmm. and those white kids were the worst because they were trying to be the hardest right <laughs> and that those were the hardest to deal with they're trying to be so tough but i was i laughed because i'm like isn't that funny because that person's experience obviously was totally different than mine but it's right. just like such a fine line when you get into these like i don't know these experiential descriptions of how you see people how was that for you growing up in like wyoming rawlings small town yeah, man. Yeah, yeah really a real small. small town. It's like 7,000 people or so. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up in my younger, my early young life in a town over called Hannah. Mm. And I think back in its heyday, it was, might have been 800, 800, 800 900 people. Oh, are you serious? Yeah. So That's small. So now I think, I don't know, 10 years ago, 10, 12 years ago, it was like 700. I think it's less now. It's got to be less. Oh, now. it's dying. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's a coal mine. There's a coal mine in town. Oh, so the coal you, mine okay. retired. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it was weird. It was different. And I don't know that necessarily when I was younger it was about race, although I did get a couple of racist slurs against me. I think it was just more about, I don't know, They just I was just one of the kids they picked on. Yeah, okay. I mean, I would say you wouldn't, if you didn't hear something, something derogatory, you wouldn't be in Wyoming or the West or yeah. like something, right? But there was, there was a lot of Mexican and Latino kids in yeah. Rollins. There was, a, there was a lot. There was like, if you can't, yeah. there, there wasn't like, you, there, you didn't do that because it was mm. way too much it's like this you're saying, outnumbered <laughs> the saying goes you mess with one bean you mess with the whole burrito you know what I mean <laughs> so, so I not you, heard you that can't, that was you can't you can't be you can't throw slings around like that in, in town where there's enough people yeah it's just it's just dumb it's just not smart especially in a small town like that everybody knows everybody and yeah for sure everyone no one's afraid to fight my parents would annihilate me if there was anything like racist going on like oh, yeah. with it within my friend group, like we we're kind of the house where all of my friends hung out, and I don't know. I think my parents were really cool. Like looking back, like they would never tolerate that stuff. Like yeah, my mom would. Same either. with my grandparents. Like I don't know. It's just interesting. I, we had such a like dynamic, diverse growing up. I guess you grew up where? Salt Lake. That's right. But my yeah. dad, my dad was adopted into the Navajo Indian tribe up in Blackfoot, and so he had a lot of Navajo friends and like tons of Mexican friends because yeah, he grew up playing. Chef. Well, yeah. any well that too, but he grew up playing soccer, mm. like my family's soccer players, and his best friend, his other best friend was Vietnamese, and so we just had this like super diverse, like household. 
Yeah. I don't know. It's cool. So. Makes sense, actually. I don't. It's Small a, towns are rough, though. I'm not going to lie. Well, they can be. Yeah, they can um, be. It can it's be. It's funny weird. because I was dying. I was dying to get out. Like, my mom yeah. would tell me, like, four, five, six years old, I'd show her pictures of the city. Mm. And I go, that's where I got to be. Yeah. And yeah. she goes, why? I, go, I don't know. There's, I got to get out. And it's like, it, I knew at a young age that I had to get out. For and, sure. And now that I'm going like, God, I would just love to find a hundred acres in the woods. <laughs> yeah. Just give me a hundred acres next in the woods with a river and a pond and I'm fine. I don't even need internet. But that's a, that's a natural life cycle. I yeah. think, um, I was, I was never drawn to big major cities. Um, for sure. Like I never wanted to live in New York. I've never wanted, like I had to live in LA and it was fucking miserable. Um, I've liked, I don't know, but you want something bigger than your own surrounding. I think you're always attracted to opportunity, especially if you're kind of a dreamer, maybe. Maybe it's like seeing the limitations on where you're at. And that's what I always saw living in Salt Lake City. It was just absolutely limited, Um, which is strange because then when I leave, I'm like, oh, actually, the rest of the world is the exact same. Right. And especially for like Hollywood type of stuff, you're like, none of that shit happens in Hollywood. (laughs) <laughs> most of it is yeah. like elsewhere like yeah you take meetings there you meet people it's like a it is it's a hub yeah, yeah it's, a, it's hub a hub for sure um but when the work actually happens it's rarely in tinseltown what was the first movie or the first role that you played that really changed it for you like what was your most like impactful role i think i know what you're gonna say it was a movie called quinceanera yeah i knew it um why so well the story how I got it is kind of interesting I so when I was living in Atlanta I was pro, I'm always proactive but I was taking classes I was doing casting workshops I was um, submitting myself and I didn't know so what happens when um, when you get auditions is there's a called thing called breakdown services the casting sends um, a listing a casting to like I'll put it on a list called breakdown services. They didn't do that at my ninth grade edition. (laughs) (laughs) So they would send them out to all the agencies and, and somehow I got a list of breakdown services when I was in Atlanta. Hmm. But what I didn't know was that when they do these castings, like a lot of these shows are cast really quickly within Mm -hmm. a week, sometimes within a day. So like there'll be auditions like yours, co-star, guest star role, casting right away, especially when it was back in person, you go in, you read, Next day or two, you're you're on dress, uh, costume fitting and on set. Mm. I didn't know that, so I would send my headshot. I would mail it from Atlanta mm. to L.A. to do, hopefully get my, you know, get get a chance, go straight to the Snail casting mail. office. No, I never did. <laughs> Obviously, never did. Um, but one of the casting directors that started out in Atlanta, Jason Wood, he was do he was living in L.A. and working in L.A. He still is. Uh, he came back to Atlanta to do a workshop there with some of the actors. I jumped in, it was a two-day workshop. He left. He says, if anybody ever needs anything or moves to L.A., hit me up. And I moved a couple years after that. And as soon as I got to L.A., I'm online submitting myself for everything. So I'm actually in town now and I can read for stuff. Um, but I was student films, short films, indie films, whatever I could. And I came across a listing for this movie called Quinceanera, a non-union movie. Um and I was reading through it, and it's like, oh, Jason Wood. And I hit him up. Uh, hey, if you haven't cast a lead guy, I would love to read for it. I'm like, why not? Let's shoot for the lead guy. Yeah. Like, why not? Yeah. And he goes, no, we haven't, actually. Uh, you should come in. Come in Wednesday or whatever it was. So I came in, 
red and he goes yeah um come back friday we'll do a work session and meet with the directors came in friday did a work session so they worked with me we kind of went over the scenes a couple few times and then i read with the directors and and um and that's how i got that so this movie ended up going tiny little movie they should we shot it really quickly i think in 16 or 19 days i think oh, we shit, shot this movie fast. this is back in 2005 hmm. and i can't remember how much they shot it for like it wasn't very much like 175,000 or 225,000 oh, or something like that which now is like a lot of money sure, again yeah. which is kind of like it's flipped a little bit even though it's not a lot of money it's a lot of money mm-hmm. um, and then that movie ended up going to Sundance and Sundance it won mm-hmm. swept, the, swept the awards audience award grand jury prize and um, it was just it was me and the lead girl we kind of like that started our career nice nice that's kind of crazy. How do how do you look at it after that? Like after you're, after you have like a hit or whatever, it's like doubling down, trying to like amplify what people see of you, or what's the process? Yeah, I mean, I had a for at the time, I had a pretty clear vision of what I wanted to do. I wanted, I've always kind of thought macro within my micro mm-hmm. um, that I wanted to help break stereotypes, especially stereotypes of Latino roles. Um, I didn't want to play any gangsters. I didn't want to play criminals. I didn't want to do. Those are the best parts, though. <laughs> are they, though? Um, I don't know. I mean, those. And I said, I didn't want to play criminals unless right. it was with somebody yeah, yeah. substantial, like a director I really wanted to work yeah. with. It was kind of, or if it was with people that I wanted to work with or something. It had to be special. Yeah. Um, and this was before 2008, before everything crashed, before After mm. signed and made us sign with them. And there, that was a whole mess. Um, so after that, after the movie came out, after Quinceanera came out, I, I had this vision of what I wanted to do. And I, there was a lot of stuff I was passing on and looking back after kind of like having uh, 10 years later, it's like, you know, if if I didn't know as a young person, um, that I should have done some of these things straight out the gate, especially doing a pilot or a TV mm-hmm. show that even if I was a gangster, even if I was some sort of criminal, that it would have got me into the system, right? Because I was at the time, you know, mid to late 20s, kind of like the new guy on the block and everyone wanted to meet with me. And mm-hmm. and I had a lot of, had a, a lot of things coming out. I did two or, th- I did three or two or three or four movies. I don't remember. One movie called Days of Wrath, $15 million movie. Um, it was Lawrence Fishburne was in it, Tay Diggs, Wilmer Valderrama, yeah. um, Jeffrey D. Morgan, Amber Valletta, a bunch of rappers. Like it was a really kind of cool gangster flick mm-hmm. that I did and it never came out. And that was supposed oh, to no be, the, yeah, that movie should have broke me out into the general market and it should have, <laughs> it would have, that would have broke um, uh, Wilmer out of the Fez because yeah. he had just got done doing 70 show. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it was going to be a big break for a lot of us. Uh, and then it never came out. What, what stops something like that? I don't know. It's just politics within uh, the movie, within within that environment of the movie. Gotcha. I, okay. I really don't mm. know. It's still out there, but I don't. I don't think the director wants to sell it for some reason. Yeah, I, gotcha. I don't know. Which is a shame because it's a, actually a pretty good movie. Yeah. Um, but then I kind of had to start over. Like I didn't have to start from scratch. Yeah. But it's almost weird. It's almost better to start from, almost would have been better to start from scratch because I was having to rebuild myself. I'm like, oh, that's that one guy. What happened to him? Mm. You know what I mean? So it's like mm-hmm. we were talking about earlier, having to maintain some sort of status and, and build from what you've got. So I came out straight out the gate. Like um, I wasn't in LA very long. Yeah. yeah. I did that movie. I was in, I moved to LA in late 2003, 
did that movie early 2005. So I was only in town a year and a half when I did that movie. Movie, then I did another HBO movie right after that. That kind of like put me within a core group of friends mm. in LA, in the Latino uh, circles. Um, and then a lot of things didn't didn't pan out. Yeah. So 2008 happened. Recession hit. I didn't work for a few years. Oh no shit! It was yeah. that bad. Yeah, and I was doing Airbnbs and figuring ways to survive for a long time. Yeah, is that is that I was gonna the next question is like there's a backup plan that's not never. Okay. I do other things, but yeah. there was never a backup plan. Yeah, I gotcha. For me, backup plans are are giving you an excuse for failure. Yeah, they can. Uh, yeah. I think uh, we've always been dive head first. Your investment is that is your investment. Yeah. Right. It's like that's your your cash up front is like uh, your dependency on it working because then you'll be very creative on making yeah. that thing work. It, it's hard though, I guess, in an industry where you're not responsible necessarily for your success or would you say that that's not right? Partially. Okay. I think, I think, I think if you rely solely on other people to, uh, uh, to put money in your pocket, mm-hmm. then that's the truth. But I think if you're proactive and you're writing and producing and you're kind of like doing the networking and kind mm-hmm. of like creating your own path um i think steve martin had a saying be so good that they can't ignore you right yeah yeah. so that if you do good work and you're producing and doing your own stuff um you can't how how can you how can they ignore you yeah that becomes a problem that we actually talk about it's like if you do good work the problem with that is that there's always more work right and then (laughs) like that's the problem with doing your job correctly is that a the benefit is obviously there but the downside is like you yeah can't do everything yeah that's uh i I just think a lot of people have a lot of misperceptions on the industry in general like they they think that it works a certain way like i i think everybody thinks they're going to be discovered out of nowhere this was like it was when when i was in the beauty industry because we worked with a lot of modeling agencies and and people thought for whatever reason like oh they just you know, will show up and be plucked off the street because of their good looks or their appearance or their aura or whatever, like magical thing. And I'm like, do you not realize it's work? Like it's, it's actually take modeling, for example, like it is a hard job, right? Like yeah. it's, you have to turn it on. You, you are in a snap. You have to be able to change and give what that person wants to accomplish a photograph that sells a certain thing or whatever you end up doing. And acting is no different. Uh, man, it's got to be different than what people think that it is. Cause we've been on set and been like, this is a fucking nightmare. Like this is hard work, <laughs> is like exhausting. 16 hour days, like <laughs> being and not just 16 hour days, but a lot of this like lull down period and then snap into action, get it done in the next 10 minutes. Yeah. yeah like to be called on like that. I mean, I would hate to make hurry up and wait. Yeah, exactly. But it's, I think it's the stuff in between, like you were saying, like it's you cool down, like you're in the middle of the scene and then they have to re, they were readjusting lights that take an hour to do then you were just yeah. in the middle of doing something i think a lot of directors and and um is it still going yeah. uh, <laughs> i think a lot of like i work working with eva I'm, I'm getting way ahead of myself but working with eva she kind of like created an environment where if there was big emotional scenes that they kind of had things lit so that they could just move the camera where they needed to and it took mm. it took 10 minutes that's awesome you know actually I mean? so, so that's kind of like you that that was a dream role for me but there's been other jobs too where like you're sitting around for hours waiting for him to adjust lights or, mm-hmm. or something happens or a camera breaks or something like what stuff you can't, you're not as an actor, you're not in control of. Yeah. 
um, yeah, if you're a producer on it, you have a little bit more kind of control, but there's also like, there's only, you can only move so fast. You can, you can move a camera so fast. You can move a light yep. so fast that there's only so fast you can do things. That's just the reality of the, of the yeah, business. Yeah, for sure. When I was on Justice League and my two days of filming, I was like, how do people do this every day for like nine months? Yeah. And the hardest part was I realized that no one else knew why they were there. Like they didn't know the role. Like they'd been casted for something, but it was secret. Like it was these girls, these Amazonians, um, they didn't know what movie it was going to be. Um, and I knew, and I don't do well with that. <laughs> don't do well with secrets. I don't, I don't do well with secrets. So I'm sitting there in too tight of clothes. Like I, I like felt ill from it and I'm like, I got this fucking secret. I was going to like jump out the window. Like I didn't feel. <laughs> you know so what's your name? Like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't, I don't I wonder woman. <laughs> <laughs> Get me out of here. Um, I like jumped through the wall. <laughs> So it's a funny thing. It's like some there's a um, my friend Sam Sticklitz who who uh, was a casting director for a long time. And she's my one of my acting coaches. Mm-hmm. She would tell me every now and she goes, "Have a secret, have a secret in in your pocket that that you're dying to tell or you can't tell or something that's within the scene that makes the stuff in between that there's still information. You know what I mean? Or when you're talking to somebody that there's like. I may be telling you a line, but I'm telling you a line because I can't tell you a secret or something. You know what I mean? So there's kind of cool, interesting. Oh, that's awesome. You know what actually. I mean? If you have, How? what is your secret? You know what I mean? <laughs> How does that, that's actually phenomenal. Like, again, coming back to like the kind of philosophical thing of wearing different masks and different personas, you like, has a lot of this of your career taught you to interact with humans differently? Like in conversation, like is this without i mean i'm not very i don't i don't feel like i'm i don't feel like i'm very actor some people go like i'll say a joke or i'll be funny or something like all right you're such an actor i'm like fuck off like i'm just i'm just funny asshole (laughs) (laughs) no but it's like it has taught me like you do you know i do people study and i do Mm -hmm. look at how people interact with each other or i'll study body language Mm -hmm. and i'll look at things and i'll uh, look at the i studied the way i'm moving when i'm when I'm talking to somebody or how my feet are or my legs are mm-hmm. or where I'm opened up or I'm closed off. And, and sometimes I'm actually very conscious of it. Like I'm going to close myself off just to see what this person does. And if, mm-hmm. um, it's, I am very conscious of it. Yeah. Okay. Cause there's like, there's a lot, I mean, we learn from our environment the same. So I'm wondering, uh, I guess in a, in a, a career that requires so much attention to detail. That's kind of why I asked because you do, you are modeling something that has to seem genuine and organic. And the only way to do that is to like pull all the threads that are real. Right. And especially with, you said you don't do it from a place of emotion, but you get the reaction from emotion. I'm wondering like what kind of things you look at and that would make sense. Body language, uh, mannerisms. I always look at it. Like I think people do it naturally or they, they mimic people naturally that they want something from mm-hmm. and they oppose, they mirror, they mirror, they reflect opposite people that they don't want something from. So if, if uh, I guess to put that, if I met somebody and I thought that person was a good opportunity for me or they could get something to me or, 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 or I respected them in some sense and I need their stamp of approval, I'll, I'll 
subconsciously mirror their body language. People will do this without knowing that they're mm -hmm. doing it. If they cross their hands, like, oh, okay, and I'll cross their hands. That, and if they're, if they have a hierarchy, I'm trying to think, if they have this weird, high, for men at least, women don't do this, but uh, for men, if there's a hierarchy and you have that person in a position of respect, you'll never, you'll never make direct contact with them. You'll angle off by a certain degree and you'll, you'll only generally look at one eye, not both eyes. To not what? be perceived as a threat. Yeah, it's a really weird. No like... wonder people think you're autistic. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> it's funny. I'm totally joking. Fair. It depends. I don't know. Like I, f I mean, that makes sense. I feel like I might do the opposite sometimes. Like sure. I, I, yeah. I, I generally square up if I want if I'm really interested in what someone has to say. So sure. this might be actually culturally relevant. Uh, have you ever studied conflict communication? Is it, is it a book? Yeah. Uh, well, it's a, it's a subject, I should say. That uh, conflict communication. Maybe without knowing. Yeah, concom <laughs> is what it's short for. So um, it's essentially, it's it's trying to talk about the um, instead of the instead of the conflict itself, it's trying to talk about the posturing around conflict. Because conflicts are going to happen. You have a difference of opinion. Mm -hmm. But how you approach that opinion is first, foremost, culturally de like decisive. So uh, the only reason we learned about this is we started working with a, a major league baseball team. And they had some issues with a player that wanted me to come in and consult. I know nothing about baseball. Right. I don't know how many touchdowns. I'm just a joke. But like I really don't understand I don't understand the sport. Like I know there's innings and I kinda get it and I know the mechanics. Uh it blows me away how fucking impressively athletic some of these guys are. <clears throat> but aside from that, this was um for whatever reason they wanted me to fly out and talk to this guy. And <clears throat> the guy who set this up for me, he teaches concom. And so he was talking about, hey, just so you know, uh, this guy's, you know, Brazilian and Japanese. I'm like, oh, I worked in a Japanese salon for like, I understand that culture. It's like, I, I know how they communicate. I understand like, I understand the structure of it. I don't understand the Brazilian side of things. And so he was kind of giving me a rundown. Like, look, if this gets heated and hot, don't step down from it. Like when we, when, when white, western culture wants to minimize an argument mm. we kind of speak calmly and we try to tone things down so you don't perceive me as a threat but in uh, in some hispanic and then lower south american cultures actually a sign of respect is to get hopped up too so you're squaring mm. off tells me that that's actually a feat your body language matches what they would tell me about the vocal communication for concom which is like uh if you're speaking loudly and getting emotional about something and I don't match you, it means I'm disrespecting your investment into the conversation. And so while you see like, oh, Hispanics like yell at each other. No, no, they're like respecting how they're coming at it so they can have conflict communication at an equal level. But uh, Western culture, white Americans will do the opposite, mm. right? When somebody's getting hot and heavy, like, hey, calm down. They'll angle themselves to not show that they're a threat. That isn't a sign of disrespect. So that's a, it, it's kind of fascinating that that stuff might come out of you naturally, and it might be more into your cultural upbringing than you're even aware of. See, for me, it's like, hmm. for me, it's like if I square up and I'm I'm open, mm -hmm. like I show. For me, it's showing vulnerability, mm. right? Mm. I'm opening myself up to whoever I'm talking to. And it's like heart open, listening yeah. to you, care about what you have to say. Yeah. As soon as I step sideways, 
for me, that's like I probably subconsciously, consciously perceive this person as a threat. Hmm. Interesting. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. like, or or I'm deflecting and like whatever they're going through, I don't really care about what they have to say. I'm trying to get out of this, right? Because yeah. it's not it's not hitting me, penetrating me. It's bouncing off. It's like I'm trying to get out. Of, yep, I understand. Mm -hmm, uh, you know what I mean? Oh, that's so, so for me, it's like it's almost kind of like the opposite i totally see it like i can see exactly what you're saying mm -hmm. I, I think it depends on who you're dealing with because as, as soon as you explain it i go yeah if i was going to attack somebody me being somebody who studies that kind of sure. stuff i would definitely turn actually my left shoulder to them because my strong side is my right side and my weapon is usually on my right side so you'd want to conceal <laughs> your draw sure right like that that's how i'd see it and i also see it from the heart opening engagement like if i face you straight on that's actually a sign that i'm completely vulnerable mm -hmm. um and when you see where where i think uh i don't know pompous you call them gringos i don't know jersey boys whatever you want to call them they um when they when they get hopped up they like keep their hands down and their chest up like yeah, they get yeah. this like proud thing which is the worst thing you can do in a conflict yeah. right like leaves you completely vulnerable it's not them it's them posturing through their ego though not through their strategy sure. strategy would look different yeah. strategy you you'd remain as calm as possible and not say you would not posture anything you would just attack first yeah so that's it's like it's phenomenal because you got so many different things going on you have cultural awareness you have your upbringing obviously you have your training and then on top of these layers, you also have this uh, perception thing. And you're like... But it's funny too, you can also read the room. Like if you can read a person who's kind of like, whatever you're doing is a little bit intimidating for them, you can either back off. It depends. It also depends what you're trying to, like again, what you're trying to get out of the conversation, mm -hmm. what you're trying to get from this person, what kind of conversation is you're trying to have, what kind of relationship you're trying to have with whoever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if you're naturally an, an intimidating or kind of like, person then you know i mean there's some b bigger personalities who are like you're I, I feel like everyone's a mirror mm -hmm. right and we reflect back at each other our insecurities and our strengths yeah like if we're re reflecting huh. back our strengths to each other then we build each other up but if one right. person is in insecure about whoever the other person is vice versa we can also reflect back insecurities if i if i'm if i'm confident in the parts that you're insecure and I and I'm reflecting back those things at you. There's 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 conflict there. Our frequencies aren't meet, aren't meeting. Yeah, there's right. no resonance. Yeah, right. That 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 is where most conflict ha like on a base level, most conflict happens because there's a there there's no frequency that can resonate. So you're in disharmony. Yeah. Right. That you it, you see this every once in a while when you talk to somebody and they like speak a certain way. Right. Even just their tonal range mm. or their I, it, it could just be their actual vibration of their body. This is a really weird thing that we, God, man, we were way too high when I looked at this thing. So it's probably total garbage. <laughs> <laughs> but I saw this picture and it was this guy, you know, it's based off of the hermetic laws. And so I've been like pretty interested in Gnosticism and, and uh, uh, Hermes Trimagustus for like quite a while. So you get all the, you get the Kybillion and like all of these weird kind of tr like worldly truths, like the as above, so below. It, it turns quickly into like occult lore, which is awesome because I love that shit too. <laughs> like anything that's kind of weird, I'm super into. But we found this diagram from a, I would call him probably a late 
19th century kind of I don't know, magician you could call him I mean it would it'd be very like hokey pokey nowadays but he was graphing for the first time um, and maybe I get the dates wrong, but they're graphing for the first time based off of frequency, how the human interacts with different frequency. So it starts from like zero Hertz and it kind of goes up to like based off of how many vibrations per second. Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing that it gets to, so it gets to, uh, the touch very quickly because that's heat, right? And so we respond to heat through, I think it's like 200 billion or something, uh, vibrations per second. And that, that's, um, that's like a lower frequency though. And then you get up to, well, sound would be before that, but then you get to touch and then you get up to uh, sight and it's like double that or triple that or whatever it ends up being. And then above that, there's the x-rays, there's the infrareds and there's all the like stuff that is happening that we are completely unaware of. And uh, in that realm, you get into spirit and, and psyche and mental and kind of interest like really interesting things to look at and what we notice well what i noticed from it which is really weird is you go oh like when you say and this is a really bad term because fucking people have ruined it but when you go like oh they're like really high that's a high vibe bro or like that person is a high, high frequency vibration. yeah it's yeah. like oh they're a high vibrating person and before before it's like shut the fuck up like that <laughs> is the dumbest thing i've ever heard and it hit me that I'm like, I think I know what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. So there's certain human beings who we would call low vibe, <laughs> right? That rub you the wrong way. Mm -hmm. And the reason they would rub you the wrong way is because the only way they can sense something is on a low vibration scale, which is heat. They need friction, mm -hmm. either verbal friction or human friction, uh, relationship friction in order to have like communication and what we would oh, talk about by high vibration is that they're light frequency mm -hmm. right they appear bright and light and different and so when you say oh that person is light and vibrant and this you're saying that they're beyond that low frequency they're in a higher frequency where their body is <laughs> vibrating literally different and they appear different mm -hmm. and as mm -hmm. I, as soon as i saw it as that I, you could kind of pierce through the mumbo jumbo that gets laid on all this stuff and it like made immediate sense to me i was like that is the strangest thing that i think i've noticed in the back but it makes sense when you're that is so weird. when you're going over all these like details about how people communicate if you if you break down to fundamentally what's happening on a frequency level to get along with somebody you need to resonate otherwise it it irks yeah. you weird like if i play a key and you play a key and they're off you're like ah what what hurts are you at and like i'm at 432 and you're at 440 you're like that will never sound good together <laughs> it just because it's barely mismatched now on a scale of the scale of vibration that's minuscule but really it's a detail that's very important if we want to get along and make something beautiful together what were you gonna say Aaron? nothing so the Mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> so I can add on to that is that I've you have you seen those videos of where how they put sand on a, on a oh, yeah. sound plane yeah. and yeah, how they turn they into it. different geometric uh, patterns. What is that called? Um, We're just looking at that. Yeah, there's the other a name night. for it though. But I know. Yeah, I can't remember what it's about. I can't remember what it's that called either. But I, I it's been years since I saw this experiment where they played. I don't know what's the normal like what's the earth frequency like 432 or what is it like 432 is the universal frequency uh earth has i think it's lower than that i'd have to look it up but i know what you're talking so about. Yeah. anyway there's an experiment like you play one song that mm. because they release most 
I think albums in 440 in 440 mm-hmm. right that's standard tuning so that you can play the same song or the same tone at different frequencies mm-hmm. and they will make you feel differently yes yeah. right 100% so I'm and I don't know I'm sure they people do this I'm sure people in sound design and, and, and um, composers do it but I at some point will con- I want to compose a movie or a project or something where I can play the same song mm-hmm. at a different frequency to make you feel differently. Yes. You know what I mean? Like to have you to, to, I play the same song, exact same song, but yes. I play at the certain frequency and it'll make you feel sick. It's just keyed differently. It's keyed. So this gets even weirder. <laughs> yeah. So there's uh, something called the, uh, I think we've talked about it before, but it's the Indian theory of ragas. So the ragas theory. So um, if you go back through all Hinduism, the entire religion is based off of sound, right? This is like fundamentally really weird, but that whole om, mm-hmm. that was the creation noise, right? So 5,000 years ago, they were saying that all creation came from this one noise, om, and it's an A-U-M, it's actually not O-M. So A-U-M has like two different vowel sounds and it's, it's, its exact frequency is known. Um, and this is another really weird thing that I posted actually on my Instagram because they have these, you know what a uh, kind of like a sound uh, meter looks like, sound wave, right? Mm-hmm. A 3D sound wave. So take that little graph that zigzags. You take that little graph and you exploit it like three-dimensionally and it becomes these circles, right? Well, in all the columns where they worshipped and practiced this religion, the columns are sound waves that are like etched out. And you can see sound three-dimensionally, mm. which they saw 5,000 years before we knew what sound looked like. They used synesthesia in order to discover it. Even weirder, there's uh, cording. So according to uh, the ragas, you have energy centers, root, sacral, heart, throat, uh, crown, ajna, whatever you want. There's a couple others, uh, seven centers. Each center responds to different chord. Mm-hmm. So root is C, sacral is D, heart is F, G is throat, and I think it goes B or something is, is crown. And so <laughs> we use this actually in sound baths because you can get people to vomit a certain way. I know they'll joke on South Park because it's the brown note or whatever, but it does work. Like you, you key a sound bowl into uh, a place where somebody might not be moving or they're repressed down into something however you describe blockage happens in this how your energy cycles and you you free that open and they'll everything comes out because you're you're actually tuning the body to like cycle itself and that is like when i first heard about that it was like oh this is total nonsense until you feel it and you go oh shit that actually physically changes your body Mm. And then the other weird thing, talking to um, a, re- a good friend of ours who is a session musician, um, he, I was telling him about like this tuning stuff, and he was like, "Have you ever done the history on like music?" And I was like, "Oh no, I, I've like I know nothing about music. Like I've never studied it. Like I just recently started trying to play it, and it's like a, it's a very new subject for me. I've just always enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I'm a consumer, a hundred percent." And he goes, "Man, if once you do the history on like." music theory you'll understand how powerful it is because essentially all of that stuff that happened in you know the renaissance with bach and mozart and all these big composers that were making big music chorded in the major scale um that was to brainwash people into feeling good right so 
the church decided, the church, government, essentially the church decided that music could only be composed on this scale. Everything else was forbidden. And that's why something played in the minor scale is called dissonance because it goes against the state. And so even today, it was like they'll use music to move people politically. And his thing was like, go to a political rally and watch what's watch what music they play because it's very in tune and then to like oh interesting fast forward to like uh we were working with this guy that used to do uh he would give uh he would do talks for tony robbins whole thing so he was mm -hmm. a trainer for him and they would we did a conference with him and he set up the room i watched him give a speech and i was like what the fuck he's that's so good he's insane i so i was asking him i was like how do like what what do you study how do you practice like i just want to know and he goes oh man it's going to take a while but here's the thing and there's a couple really cool parts that he gave me on like when you address an audience it's like this but he goes also we work with music design to there's background music there's tones going on in the background to release emotional states from people so that sparkly music that you hear gets the like tingles on the back of your neck he's like we release that i have a guy watching me and when i can connect with an audience member on a subject that's powerful he'll release that sound and that way there's like this emotional connection that this person has and if you can get one person to do it the whole room will actually start crying or they'll have an emotional release and you're like what the fuck? That's Humans crazy. are so, they're so, I don't know, they're so influential yeah. based off of just little things. So you like, no wonder, I mean, you've watched a movie without music. It's not. It's not the same. It's not yeah. a movie, right? It can be, but sure. it's not the same. Yeah, it's a silent movie. Yeah. And then you kind of get bored after a while. <laughs> wasn't, there's a couple movies where I watch and there's very, very little music in it. And no, it's still really. Think of one. Yeah, there's, I think one recently, like there was very, very little music in it or show. Really? Yeah, and it was like still very compelling. Do you think it's, oh, it could be, is it, is it uncomfortable? Maybe. I don't remember. I'd have to find the movie. It's, I, when I think about silence like that, I would have to say that it, pro, like it would make me feel like there's nothing like filling in the gaps, which I think is most people's days, right? I used to think that I needed music all the time. Like I would drive and I would just listen to music. No, I just had like big tires and they were super loud and annoying. As soon as I got a Tesla, I was like, it's fucking quiet. This is awesome. It feels great. <laughs> Other than I don't the... listen to music in the car anymore. Yeah, I know. It's so weird. I don't know what changed. Something changed That's and I'm funny. like, everyone needs to be quiet now. <laughs> I, I don't know what that is. I used to have music going all the time and now... Yeah. I don't know, maybe because I talk on the phone all day. I'm like, I need quiet. You need a break from sound? I need sound. no more like input. If I'm reading or something like that, I can't have music on. Yeah, neither can I. Can I can do like he a can. soundtrack or sound, something. Sound, yeah. But I can't have like lyrics. Uh, you know, most of my consumption of music has switched to consumption of sound. Like it's yeah. like, I, I just put on an album out there, but like I would rather just listen to a noise, which I think is really weird. Like mm -hmm. a... I have um, I have a bunch of tracks that are maybe some different instruments, but they're all just keyed to a different sound for a prolonged period of time. And I'll just listen to that. It's not a binaural beat necessarily, but it's like close. Mm. Like it would just be like, oh, I just want to listen to this sound bowl in A minor. And I can't do it. I look at Kate and I'm like, I'm going to fucking kill him. <laughs> she hates it if so much. She, if he doesn't put on some rap music, I'm not going to be able to back squat this weight. <laughs> Hilarious. I don't know why. Like I am influenced 
in a different way. You should have someone come in and do like a, a sound ceremony while you guys are doing a, a session one day. Do We've done what? it actually. Really? With the, like sound yeah. bowls and. Yeah. Well, we have all that stuff upstairs. Oh, funny. Yeah. We have done that. Like our Wednesday nights are kind of like that. Michael yeah. and I, the first time Michael and I ever went to a sound bath, we're like, I can't believe we're here. We have to go do this thing. Like we're standing in for Mark who didn't couldn't go or something and he's like hey go these are my friends and michael and i were so grumpy we're like this is so stupid like so, i couldn't be more repulsed by these like a people. girl in the back pretending that she can feel the energy <laughs> and then it started and we're like that was the most amazing thing yeah. that's ever happened to me in my life i feel amazing it was so weird i think I've we been leave like floating so yeah it's like, like one of my craziest experiences in yoga was a kundalini class and I, oh yeah. yeah and i walked out of class and i'm going like Whoa! What the fuck just happened? And I'm looking at my like the other some other people that were in class with me. I'm like, they're like, yeah. And we're just staring at each yeah. other, just nodding our heads. Like, yeah, you're like, you like, get that, bro? You, you, are you? Were you just in there too? I'm like, I don't know, but what happened? But <laughs> it's no shit. Yeah, I, I like. Uh, I think the first time it really hit me, as in like I needed to figure this out, was when Lorraine played the didgeridoo for me, and she like put it on my chest and played it and i was like what in the fuck is happening like did you start, did you start yeah. crying no I, like I, I just like i just felt immediately how you could like change your body using sound mm. and i think that's what i felt like i felt my cells felt different it took mm -hmm. you that long to figure out that there was something you needed to figure out yeah <laughs> it really was that long because i've listened to music like my entire life non-stop and i've never known why i've used it but mm. it was medicinal use mm. of music and i would say like i would say the same thing with movies right like m movies can chord you the same way so you can yeah. i think that's why people are really attracted to them because it is a, it's not just music it's like a full experience mm -hmm. right they can mm -hmm. transform everything especially through like I don't know. There's just certain there's certain movies that change you. Um, what was that movie that we just saw? The The Norseman. Oh yeah, The Norseman. And we all left, and I'm like, I'm gonna go home and eat some sage. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see that movie? I haven't seen it yet. I'm waiting. All right, like, we I won't tell you anything. I have about to. It. Either I see movies like that in a theater, mm -hmm, yeah. or I wait until I can sit down and pay attention because I have a nice system, kind yeah. of a setup yeah. at home. And everyone, like, people who I have, will watch movies with, they'll want to watch a movie at their house or something like on that. On an iPad? You're like, get I'm the like, fuck like, out no, of here. can't do it. Or on a TV without at least a soundbar, I, got, yeah. I can't do it. They're like, what? I go, for movies for me is an experience. Yeah. Even yeah. if I don't like the movie, mm -hmm. or even if it's not, like, a big, massive, like, sound experience, yeah. I could still experience for me. You want to do it justice. Got to do it justice. A lot of people yeah. put a lot of work into it. And if I'm going to spend an hour and a half to two hours watching something, yeah. I want to experience it. Did you, did you watch Dune? I haven't seen it yet. Say, I'm waiting. Oh, right. no. I know. Shit. I have my, so I'm going to Austin tonight. Okay. And I have a massive TV and I got, okay, yeah. it's everything set up, like new sets, yeah. everything's set up. So it's going to, it'll be, it'll be, it'll be I, done. So I think that's one of the, those movies that I think it's like an immersive experience that can change you. I mean, the book changed me when I first read it because the book itself, the story itself is so powerful. Mm -hmm. But when they add everything in together, I mean, they did a phenomenal job of making it as big as the book seems. And I think that's, yeah so hard to do on these like totally sci-fi things to make everything as big as you think that it is in your imagination yeah. they did a good job it is phenomenal and the sound on it is like I'm so excited for amazing. the next one i do i'm excited for you you should go back and watch it and tell me what you think i about will it. i probably will. if i don't watch it this week and i'll watch it this week that was the last okay. movie that london saw before she passed away oh uh, yeah she was, fell huh? asleep the whole movie i didn't woke up she's like i think i missed it i'm like <laughs> wake up 
<laughs> it's gotta be amazing. I read this book in third grade. Get oh, up. Funny. Yeah, yeah, that is kind of crazy. It was so good. Michael and I were glued to that movie. Yeah. Did, well, you, did you watch it at home though? No. no. We, we went, went to the, the IMAX. Oh. Yeah. And, and the best so part rad. is because it was like kind of the COVID era. There's Nobody's in there. Three people in the oh, theater, the and then us, and it was an IMAX, and it was just like as loud and as big as you could possibly yeah, imagine. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. So I hate going to the theater and they don't have the volume up. Yeah, for sure. I hate going to the theater and it's too hot. <laughs> That's my biggest pet peeve. I but, think that was the first movie we went and saw after COVID. Yeah, it was. I was, yeah. I was going to movies yeah. pretty early on. Really? Yeah, yeah. Because nobody was there, right? No. Doing pretty I, good. I think. I, I, I think I saw. Uh, what is it? Kong versus Godzilla. Oh, or Godzilla uh, versus Kong. So it was pretty. It's like two years. No, yeah. two years ago. Yeah. Most influential movie for you. You know what's funny? I didn't know. <clears throat> For some reason, El Mariachi, mm. when it came out, I don't know why I liked it so much. It was in Spanish. I didn't mm -hmm. speak Spanish. Um, I barely speak Spanish now. Um, Same. <laughs> <laughs> I can sing in Spanish. Uh, That's about all I got. Um, but I recorded it. I remember recording it and just watching it and watching it and watching it. Oh, interesting. Um, and it wasn't, I don't think, and it probably subconsciously was that I, you know, I those Mexicans in the movie and I mm -hmm. saw like I don't think you realize I don't think people really realize when you see your face on screen or someone that looks similar to you it means uh, representation right yeah. it means it means a lot um, oh that's fascinating and, and I think actually. La Bamba too like even though oh, yeah. La Bamba was, that was fucking good even though Lou Diamond Phillips isn't Mexican he's sure. Filipino I think yeah. he's ethnically ambiguous yeah um, he's Filipino yeah. but he was great he's also the Iron Chef yeah he was great right? no that's not no. that's, uh, no. that's uh, not Ludo who is that that's um, Mark Descascos yeah I don't know who that is he was, all, he was in the uh, Only the Strong where he played a Brazilian guy who taught capoeira and then he mm -hmm. was also in Le Pac de Lou which oh, was the, yeah. the Brotherhood of the Wolf oh funny I need, a, I need you need to give me a list dude the, uh, Le Pac de Lou is a great movie he doesn't speak in it because I think it was originally in French and he doesn't know French <laughs> but it worked out perfectly what was your most influential in movie it. me yeah Ooh, um probably Fight Club what yeah I, I think, think mine was Legend really that yeah. was a great movie yeah um both good choices fairies I mean, unicorns Legend Legend is a phenomenal movie. Um, who's the one? There's this. Um, uh, Robert Labetta did all the design for that, all of the artwork for that, yes, and he's, he's a hairdresser. Just a really? plethora of information. Yeah, he's a, no, he was you. like a hero. Tim Curry was so rad in that. It's true. The, he played the devil. What yeah. the fuck? That, that was, was the coolest really costume I've ever seen. What was it about the story that got you? I don't know. I think I was such a fantasy child uh, growing up. Magic. Like I loved fairies and magic and I'd yeah. build little fairy lands and I don't know. It's just kind of a daydreamer. It really got me. It really represented my life at the time. <laughs> that was it. Pulp Fiction was huge for me too. Yeah. Obviously. That's a good one. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Fight Club was good because it had social commentary in it mm -hmm. too that kind of. I mean, it changed the world. Mm -hmm. Like it really did. Like people don't, I think, recognize how much influence that had on on 
people my age in Western society, like our whole worldview is based off of the truth of that movie. And that there was a couple lines that established it. It had nothing to do with like the, I mean, a little bit has to do with like burn the credit cards down and do that kind of shit. But Mm -hmm. most of it had to do with being a generation of men raised by women. That line, like something sunk into me. I'm like, oh my God, that is me. Like, not that my mom didn't do an awesome job, but she is solely responsible for who I am. And that, that like, something hit hard as to, like, holy shit, I didn't really have a father figure. Like, my dad exists, but the influence was not there. Mm. And I think that is what kind of hit me at my core. And I recognized that my mom was trying to... um, she was trying to give me good references. So she would always make me watch like Tom Selleck movies. And she would, oh, <laughs> right. Like she would be like, Oh, this is what a man is. And she'd be like, look how cool Robert Redford is. And look at Tom oh, Selleck. That's how what a man looks like. It was a fantasy of what her man was. like. Yeah. yeah. That is hilarious. I know. It's also really sad. <laughs> it That explains so much about my childhood. <laughs> I raised myself. <laughs> Funny. That's why you like legend. Yeah. That's why you're kind of like a fairy. Well, you were having a fantasy of what life could be. Yeah. I mean, it is kind of like my life. Yeah, I'm know? trying to think of what other movie, what other movies have been influential. Are most of them like the ones that hit you the hardest are kind of Hispanic in nature? I don't know. I don't know. Um, do uh, uh, smoking a bandit. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, man. Shit. Cars. Fucking. Women. <laughs> uh, yeah okay um, uh, what's his name uh, uh, Burt Reynolds Burt Reynolds yeah yeah yeah. just the, one of them the men tra- the Trans Am it's like just one of those this is a really wild story um, but my name was uh, almost gonna be Remington <laughs> this is how this is how fucking pervasive this is because of Remington Steel right because my mom loved Pierce Bronson he was this is before he was Bond too <laughs> so when he became James Bond that became like hey look at Pierce Bronson then uh, I was in L.A. training uh, an actor, actually, and I got a call from Mark. And he goes, hey, you got to go meet somebody. We might be doing another movie gig. And I was like, OK, whatever. Like, he's like, dress nice. And I'm like, oh, shit. OK, it's one of those. He's like, it's in Malibu. I'm like, oh, it's OK. I don't know who it is yet, but I show up. Fucking Pierce Bronston opens the door and I about lost my shit. You're like, hold on. I got to call I my like, mom. I got to. I want to fucking freak out right now because he was like. I was like told to be like him. Oh, funny. So we were, it was before he was going to do November man and they needed some physical training. We didn't end up doing it, but super nice guy, fucking super welcoming. We talked quite a while just about what he could do. And then the schedule didn't work out cause he had to go to Hawaii or something. But I, that was like one of those things like, fuck, I almost got to work with Pierce Bronson. And that would have been like a check mark for sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, especially for my mom. She would have fucking lost <laughs> her shit. That's a, that's part of the fun being the business too is like doing these film festivals or premieres or something mm-hmm. like that something like that you know my parents will come to a, a screening or a sundance or whatever and i think what's the last time they came my my dad and his wife maria is that the only two i think they were living in texas they came to the set of from dust till dawn it was a season oh nice yeah. season finale of the first season yeah. uh and they got to be on set and see yeah. explosions and meet Robert Rodriguez mm-hmm. and blah, blah, blah. My mom got to meet Paul Rubens when I was doing the Pee Wee Herman show. Oh, that nice. was so rad. Um, they got to meet Eugenio Derbez and Caitlin Castillo, who are big Mexican stars. 
So it's kind of cool. Like, you know, yeah. some of the stuff I get to do is like, it's, you know, it's still cool for me, but it's, it's really cool for my parents because they're like, they, for sure. they, for sure. that's not their life. It's I've, double cool for them. Yeah. Yeah. It is. I mean, I think that was probably like, I could care less being on set. Right. Even though it's cool. Like, but sure. I'm trying to like, you know, yeah, no, yeah. it's not that cool. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. is cool to watch shit get made and blown up and like all the stuff that goes behind it. You get desensitized it. to it. You you do. And eventually you're just irritated because yeah. it's your job. Yeah. <laughs> but I think when we were. Because you could do better. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. when we were in, uh, when we were in London, um, working on Justice League, uh, London was with us. And I think probably one of the coolest things I've ever seen is she she had no idea what was going on, right? Like, I don't think she... She, she didn't was care unimpressed. By everybody, all the time. Even to the point where, like, Lambert ran in Ben Affleck's trailer. And she was like, I think he just ran into that guy's trailer. It's like, Ben Affleck's trailer? Uh, until she came to set, because we were like, oh, you should see, like, how movies are made. And we took her. And it just happened to be a day where all of all of the heroes were on one it's scene. It's a big fight scene. Yeah, so it's Justice Gal, League. it's Jason, it's Ezra, it's Henry, it's Ben. It's, like, all of the people. And... And it was perfect because most of the stuff is like green suits or like whatever mocap suits and you got all this shit going. But Gal has her fucking, she's like to the 10. She's Wonder dressed. Woman. Yeah, she yeah. looks like Wonder Woman. And London walked in and was just like, oh my God. And you couldn't, I you never know what you, what's going to happen. And Gal saw the reaction and told her, hey, go get me uh, a picture so I can autograph it. And like took london around and gave her it was like yeah. the fucking sweetest thing i've ever know, seen and it was like one of those things where you're like man I, no other kid got to do that so cool and then yeah. the production company knew london was there and so they got they got because it's at leaveston they got aaron and london tickets to go through the whole harry potter thing like mm -hmm. vip kind of deal so and it was like cool. So yeah. rad that you can do that for your parents or your kid or whatever. Because it's like, a, it's, of course, it's magical. That's why we yeah. make yeah. these things, right? That's she had a full crazy. set pass to Warner Brothers. That is like, so that is pretty cool. No, and she would just ride her little scooter around. Yeah. Unimpressed. But, yeah, unimpressed. <laughs> but she was impressed with that. That was cool that Gal did that. Super cool. Yeah, it's one of her that magical cool. items that's in her room. Actually, uh -huh. like it's still like in the corner, gal mm, signed thing. I love it. Like, it. That's super so sweet. funny. When Henry came and stayed with us, we were dropping London off at school, and we're like, "All right, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna go to the gym. We'll drop London off. We'll go train." And it like we show up to drop London off, and it's like superhero it's day. Superhero. And day. there's all these kids running around with capes on, and Henry's like, "Do you want me to come in and I'll talk to your class for a minute?" And she gets out of the car, and she's like. I'm good. And she slams the door and walks in. But she, I, I, I don't think she was trying to be rude. I think she was like, I don't want any attention on me. Oh, yeah, yeah. Funny. She was you like, know? she was still like a very shy kid. Yeah, she's very shy. Even though, man, that would have made her. Oh, she'd have been the coolest. Yeah. I mean, she she's was probably anyway. already the coolest kid. Yeah. She did because we got her Lambert. So we got her Lambert, and that's what turned her like friendships around at school. Remember, she brought her puppy yeah. to school, and then suddenly she had like twenty five friends. Yeah. Lambert so. was an icebreaker for London. Yeah, but funny. the Henry yeah. thing was funny because he was always like, "Oh, oh, that's so weird." <laughs> <laughs> it was super fun. It's not your demo, dude. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, that was nice of him to yeah. offer. But... Yeah, for sure. Last subject, because I have to ask it: How uh -oh. does physical training work? with your line of work because this is what a we're on the receiving end of this so you have to know where it comes from yeah people go 
I want to look like this actor, or I heard that they did this training program, and now you've been doing this a while, you've prepared physically for roles, you've been up all over the place doing this kind of stuff. How does that... Fit and lean Jesse mm. works more than fluffy Jesse. <laughs> fluffy Jesse. <laughs> it's funny because I feel like, you know, and I, other people may say something different, but I feel like I'm in a, I'm in a weird kind of limbo category mm-hmm. um i'm not tall but i'm not short mm-hmm. um i'm i'm kind of a, a cheeky guy like i'm not super lean mm-hmm. but i'm also not fat i just and i have i put on a lot of size i put a lot of muscle on and it takes me a lot of time a lot of time to lean back down but when i'm leaner when i'm smaller i it, for me it's like i look um more normal yeah i got you yeah. you know what i mean like i kind of fit into more things i'm fit into you can put me on any puzzle piece on the mm-hmm. on the board and and i can fit in there mm-hmm. when i'm a little bit bigger it's a little tougher so i'm a kind of caught between a character actor i'm definitely a character actor but i'm caught between a character actor and like a lead because i still do lead leady stuff yeah but i'm a character actor i feel like mm-hmm because I play characters. I mean, we have this discussion with a couple different people, a couple different actors too. Um, namely, because I think when when people do see people on screen, it's uh, relative to who else is on screen. Mm-hmm. So if you're a muscular guy or you're just lean, you look gigantic because people see normal people all day long you know soft and just the kind of normal yeah. dad bod kind of thing is all over the place. So you just see abs and you think, oh, monster. And then you add size to that and then you go, okay, that's like, that's a freak, yeah. right? You, you see somebody like one of the big guys, like one of the big guys is hyper muscular. I don't know. Take one of the WWF wrestlers turned actors and you're like, yeah, that's like a 250 pound guy, mm-hmm. tons of gear involved or whatever, but also lots of training, big sure. training history, lots of diet. And you go, man, uh, that person is freakish and they look very physical, but they will never provide the other part of the role, which is like looking good in a suit or like, you know, Mm. there's, there's this aspect that I think a lot of people don't consider when they consider looking physical. They mostly just think about looking physical with their shirt off, which is pretty easy to do if you're just lean. Um, So when we do discuss, when we sit down and talk to people about where they want to arrive, we always err on the leaner, lighter side, knowing that, on screen you will look impressive yeah. just because yeah. leanness um but you do have this part where you you have a lot of muscle on you right you have developed shoulders you have developed traps you've got developed chest that stuff is really hard to t- calm down because all of the things that you like to do involve when you've that been training for a long time I've been training for yeah 30 some years yeah. been, i taught myself to start working out 14 years old yeah, yeah. i was yeah. a fat kid too so like i think I, I also feel like i have the genetics of someone who's you know, a worker, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? I feel like strength is kind of one of those natural things that yep. I, I work hard at it, mm-hmm. and it's, but mm-hmm. it also is like, it doesn't take me long to build up a massive amount of strength. Mm-hmm. So for I me, wish I was like that. it's, I'm cheerleading and like all the stuff that I did when I was younger, I got, right now I got old man strength. <laughs> so when I, I go from running, I'm, if I'm rolling, I'm doing jujitsu, I, yeah. Like you go, oh okay, yeah, oh shit, yeah, yeah. this guy's got a grip. This is what you are a fucking welder, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> That's how underwater say. welder. Do the worst, the worst grip you'll ever get. go roll in like Eastern Europe, and you'll go, oh shit, that's at like 
your family has been cold for generations kind oh, of grip funny. where you just do not give a fuck. You just you yeah, grab yeah, the yeah. fuck out of somebody. Yeah. That, that, and my, like my friend Brandon, who's like works in a gravel pit. Who is a welder. <laughs> you will never feel a grip. Like when that grabs you, like, oh, that's what a fucking man grabs. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. I do not have that. <laughs> I have like, I have a developed great grip, but I do not have like old man angry at the world grip strength. Which yeah, I actually that's impressive. It's, it's for me. It's like to build, <laughs> like to lean back down. Is, it's difficult mm-hmm. for me, and I'm still trying to find. We talk about this all the time, but I'm trying to find the happy balance where I don't have. I like working out. And part of for me is like for me, it's mental health and mm-hmm. and kind of like mm-hmm. gives keeps gives me a routine, and it's all part of like the process, and it's not all just. Than like aesthetics for sure i like it's you know it's like the mental part of it and i like for sure i like doing it whether if whether i'm you know doing a crazy circuit or yeah. if i'm going for a walk or if i'm doing yoga you should just come here for two months stay upstairs as soon as elodie's gone they could apartment kick hopefully it. she doesn't yeah. hear me do say a Jessica that we don't want you to camp. leave yeah yeah come and do a training camp i'm down that'd be so fun. fun high elevation training Oh yeah, yeah, I always forget it's high elevation here. I mean, it's low here actually. When Randy well, came back from Chicago, and then train here. he's like, oh, "I'm just trying to get used to that elevation." I'm like, "You weren't gone long enough <laughs> to come back to elevation. You were gone for five days." <laughs> well, I was training in Rollins, and I the first day or two, I'm like, <sighs> "It's higher there yeah, it's than high. here, yeah. right?" Seven thousand there. Oh yeah, 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 that's insane. That's the same as Park I forgot City. it was so yeah. high there. That is high, actually. It'll get you. When we I'm got sure. back from London, I was like. <gasps> Oh, yeah. <laughs> Why am I so unfit? <laughs> but I felt great going to London. Yeah. And then, and then yeah, two yeah. weeks later, you don't feel so well, great. Red yeah. blood cells shrink. <laughs> yeah, they catch up and come to me. That's awesome. Uh, any any place, anything else you want to mention? Where can yeah. people find out about your... Instagram. Okay. I, I don't post, but yeah. they can follow me on Instagram if they want. Fair. At Jesse John Garcia. What is your next project? Next, um, I think the next one that's coming out is a movie called The Mother. It's a oh, JLo movie, yeah. big action movie. Um, uh, it's, 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 I think it's going to be cool. It's a Netflix movie. For, for right now, the last I knew was coming out in December of this year. Nice. 2022. Oh, that's soon. Um, big kind of like action movie for Jen. Cool. Um, I play like a no conscience bad guy. Just It's got to be a fun role. Super fun. Super yeah. fun. <laughs> it's three weeks of, it's three weeks of running. Like three weeks, just non-stop sprinting running through the streets in in canary islands oh nice yep. yeah oh is that where you filmed mm-hmm. canary Islands. we shot three well the fr- we went in january february i don't remember january january we went in january uh to start shooting we were gonna shoot there for three weeks and then like the next wave of omicron kind of oh, hit fuck. so i had to come home yeah. yeah i gotcha and then i went back in march and we shot for three weeks there cool Ooh, that's rad and then shot in t- vancouver yeah Oh fuck yeah! Yeah, Vancouver's cool. Did you shoot in the Barnaby, Burnaby, Burnaby studio? Not, I don't know. Bur, 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 that's, a, that's a cool area. I call it a Burley Bee. Um, what? When does the? Can we Flame talk hot? about Flaming Hot? No, not that one. The one you just went and did down in Mexico, Mexico City. I have no idea. It's called Murder City right now. It's, uh, I have no idea what's called. Yes. That sounds like something another, that I love. Yeah, sounds pretty. <laughs> another, <laughs> another action flick. Nice. It's funny because I never really, like, I always wanted to do them. And then yeah. I think after I did um, From Dust Till Dawn with Robert, uh, with Robert Rodriguez, I started, yeah. I did that show. And it, that, 
because it's 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 you know as an actor you always go like oh man i could do that i'd love to do doing a show like that mm-hmm. but there's a learning curve yeah because there's a kind of like a technique that to do those kind of action movies and make them interesting it's not because you can watch some of these action movies and you get actors who will do stuff and they're in an action movie and they're fighting but it's not interesting mm-hmm. yeah you know what i mean even the fights aren't interesting because there's they're just grunting and pushing each other around yeah you know yeah. what i mean to make these fights or to make the even the running scenes or whatever interesting you got to do something interesting mm-hmm. or either jason statham does it awesome like he's yeah. he's super funny he's interesting to watch his fights are amazing of course but he'll throw a look and Antonio Banderas does it too. Like he'll throw a look. Nick, yeah. Nick Cage does it. He'll throw yeah. a look or he'll do, he'll put a button on the end of a scene or in the middle of a scene and it makes it interesting and fun to watch. Yeah, and, interesting. I, and I learned a lot um, working on From Dust Till Dawn from, especially from Robert, but a lot yeah. from the other guys too because everyone kind of like we all learned to let go and be free and kind of forget whatever version of the character that for me anyway, the, whatever version I thought I had in my head, I'm like, okay, let's go ahead and chuck that because I'm not, I'm not Antonio, I'm not Nick, I'm yeah. not, I'm not Jason Statham, I'm none of those guys. I'm Jesse, and I got to figure out what works for me and how to yeah. make, find my way, figure out my path. There was one scene in the pilot, the first episode of season one, where uh, it's kind of like the first seven episodes of season one follow the movie. Yeah. And after that, it kind of goes into its own adventures. Have you guys seen the movie? Mm-mm. So in the movie, there's a shootout at the beginning of the movie. Um, Wait, from Dusk Till Dawn? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I've oh, seen that. Yeah, Dusk yeah, yeah. Till Dawn. From yeah. Dusk Till Dawn. I haven't seen the series yet. Okay, so it's you should, it's fun. Um, in the movie, remember when there's a big shootout in the in the convenience store and Earl, the, the, uh, the sheriff, gets shot, right? Yeah. yeah. By the Gecko Brothers. Yeah. So I play... Um, Texas Ranger Freddy Gonzalez who is his protege mm-hmm. right so it was a new it's a character that was added in so that wasn't part of the original yeah. universe um, and there's a shootout that's going on in there and Earl's in like they're barricaded inside and the, the geckos have the sheriff on the ground he's not dead yet and there was a line where I'm like Robert goes just pull your gun up and go uh, what because the guys and say well you should, you should go right now it's going to be a long day or something like that then I pull my gun up and go then it's going to be a long day right and i'm doing it i'm like robert i feel like a fucking idiot i'm like this feels weird he goes no man it looks great I'm like and he goes come look at the monitor so he showed me pulled back on the monitor and i did it and i said and it's gonna be a long day and and he go and i go oh yeah it looks it looks dope it looks cool it looks really cool and he goes yeah man I told you and i go I just got to trust that what, yeah, yeah, yeah. like I got to trust the prod. There's a certain style. There's a certain yeah. kind of like pizzazz. And like, even if it feels weird to bring your gun into yeah. frame, right? And <laughs> it, say the line, it still looks cool. Yeah. And it's talent. Like it's giving reference to something other than what you're speaking yeah. about. Right? Yeah. There's, even if it's like not something you would do in real yeah. life. Yeah, yeah. It's still kind of like it adds to the style of the show. And you're like, you, yeah. I learned so much. That's rare. So much. I, I learned. I remember doing when I was. I worked on Ambulance, now Michael Bay movie that came mm-hmm. out earlier this year. Mm-hmm. And because of from all the stuff I learned from Dust Till Dawn, I felt like everything that I was thrown that was thrown at me in Ambulance, I was able to handle. Yeah. Because I had already done like 
the big action sequences and waiting for things and I was ready and I had yeah. ideas and I was, you know, I was looking at what Michael was looking at and Michael Bay and I was like, oh, okay, he's doing that. And I was like, I know when the light's coming here and I look this way and the camera's going to catch me. And like, yeah. I didn't have to be micromanaged. Yeah. Um, just Mike just like, all right, stand right there and do your thing and blah, 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 blah. So I'm like, I felt comfortable and it's like, while we're doing, I'm like, man, if it wasn't for Fidesz Don, I'd probably be an absolute mess right now. Oh, that's interesting. That's rare. So it was, it was really cool. I learned so much. I'm so super grateful for that. Yeah, that's super rare. Yeah. That's, I mean, there's so much that goes into it. It's cool to hear like how it actually plans out <laughs> because you're like, it is such a, it is such a skill to act to to for be sure. somebody that you're not or portray what somebody needs you to portray so it's cool to hear. and fit within all of the other pieces that are going on yeah i think that's the hardest part like i can say a line i'm i'm the worst actor oh i'm God. not good at it <laughs> we should talk about your audition. no, no let's not um i'm really <laughs> i'm really really bad at it because i can't see all the other pieces that are going on yeah I, I don't know for me that's I think that that's really interesting for me that's half the fun mm -hmm. because I'm also I kind of like fortunately unfortunately I look at things through the a director's perspective as well mm -hmm. you know I like knowing where the cameras are I like mm -hmm. I, I like knowing where the lights are I know I see what other people are doing I see yeah. how if they're doing that and I can say my line here so that when they slip by they'll have an edit point or this or that or I I like knowing where all the pieces are because like it gives me it, it gives me like I don't know a break or I, I I know where I can help somebody else out or I can I know I know the tricks I'll, I'll cheat off of other actors all mm -hmm. the time it's like oh why'd you do that it's because of this I'm like oh it makes total sense yeah, okay. yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna use that from now on that's cool well, that's super rad well thank you for coming on and oh man that's so much fun yeah good um, yeah, come back soon yeah and tell training, us about camp. training camp I definitely yes. need a training camp training camp let's do it I need a movie where I just come in the guy you have two months to train and then I go okay I'm not doing anything for two months yeah I'm just come out here and train and, and get shredded remember when Craig did that we did we tried to do a training camp with our friend Craig McKinley and we in ended LA, up just yeah. eating ice cream every day and playing spike ball <laughs> hey we're he got jacked ter we're terrible coaches <laughs> I have a good. video of you guys like dancing in Magic Spoon, waiting to order your ice cream. I'm like, this is a nutritionist nightmare. <laughs> but did he really want to work out? Did he really want? Yeah, we he's trained, a fit guy. We, we trained a train. lot, actually. <laughs> we trained a lot, but we we did eat also a lot of frozen yogurt. We were training solely to burn that off. <laughs> it got good. And you know what? We couldn't get away with it now. Dude, it was so much That was fun. five years younger than Aaron. I wouldn't have changed a thing. <laughs> It is what it Wouldn't is. Wouldn't have changed a thing. Right. I had so much fun. Yeah, yeah thank thanks, you, man. Jesse. And the sex doll. <laughs> hey, no one's supposed to know about that. Oh, Mist Misty <laughs> <Just> Bravo. <laughs> See I, me drop out of frame. I think yeah, it just it cuts really quickly yeah. to fuzz. All right, thanks, man. And cut.